if we can't have real conversations about pain, we're closing the door to spiritual practice for a lot of people because a lot of people might feel that their pain isn't understood. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 112, The Fist Switch, a Beacon Series conversation featuring Paula Lazars, Shaolin martial artist, Soto Zen Buddhist priest, and head instructor at Health Kick Kung Fu in Chicago, Illinois. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. For most of my adult life, I've been looking for fixed truths, constants that can be identified over and again, no matter the unique circumstances and shifting forces in play. What I've found on this search is that the only fixed constant is that there really is no solid truth. Reality is made up of bumps, cracks, twists and bends, and when all those nuanced layers come together, we feel we've found a truth or a way. If we sit with that perception long enough, we might be blessed to see that fixed thing dissolve or change before our very eyes. I share this perspective because it feels very much linked to the conversation I had with Shaolin martial artist and Soto Zen Buddhist priest, Paula Lazars. Paula Lazars is the lead instructor of Health Kit Kung Fu in Chicago, Illinois, a school that has been teaching the traditional arts of the Shaolin Temple to children and adults for over two decades. As someone that claims to practice Buddhism to some degree, I have been fascinated by the juxtaposition of the physicality of Shaolin Kung Fu with the seemingly docile meditation practices encouraged by most schools of Buddhism. In our conversation, Paula provides useful, grounded insight into how these two dance together. The truth is, she helped me better understand the relationship between the two and make peace with my personal struggles of using firmness or force situationally. I left this conversation with a better grasp on how to wield the elements of passivity within me, realizing that those gentle features are not always the right tools for a given moment. She reminded me that circumstances are always shifting and that it is very important to have eyes to see the changes and diverse practices at the ready for whatever may arise. Now. I invite you to listen to a Shaolin teacher with a true gift for bringing insightful and powerful practices down to earth. Then tune your attention to this good news beacon and press play on a little good news. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up a story I can hear. The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep. On the path to your deliverance, in a holy wall of light through the window. Old news, bad news, fake news. Sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source. With my Find the Good News Beacon series, I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them. I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources, and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Warren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good.
went hot and cold with meditation you know it's depending on what's going on in my life i would love to say that it's a daily practice but reality is there are days when i go well well, i used i would meditate in the morning but then the morning would have something come up and i go well i can't do it in the morning so it was real inconsistent but recently i've been able to bring some of that consistency back and i use a i guess a meditation bench it's like you know a little bench that you kneel and it sits under your your bottom uh, that that's the most comfortable for me, but doing that consistently, I told my wife, I didn't even put it together. I was like, man, my lower back and tailbone are so sore, but I couldn't figure out what I was doing. Cause I'm thinking I've done some kind of strenuous, you know, physical activity, but it was just from bringing that practice back in. And my body was, I guess, uh, responding to that new, uh, consistent position. What I've discovered is the sitting meditation is the yin side of physicality. So it's just as demanding, like Shaolin Kung Fu physically is very demanding in, in kind of a yang way, um, an energetic way in the sense that you're moving. There's a lot of activity and we're used to that with exercise. You know, like if you go to the gym and you're lifting, you're doing cardio and all that, you expect to be sore. Yeah. For some reason, when we think of sitting meditation, we feel somehow we can let go of the body, but actually the body is very much present in the practice and the, the fact that we're not moving and the body's demanding to hold a posture is actually very physically strenuous. You know, it's, used to it. that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're so uh, active. I mean, I'm pretty active. I mean, my job day job obviously i'm sitting in a chair with technical equipment so i'm kind of tied to this spot and i would think okay well i'm sitting in this chair why wouldn't that affect me the same way as you know sitting in meditation but i'm really in this chair i'm rather active i'm moving around i'm I'm getting up i'm getting down i'm you know interacting with a lot of things but you're right in meditation it's just stillness i mean difficult sometimes to be still because we're so used to I mean, the awareness of all the fidgeting that I do, they don't even realize I do the messing around with something on my body or ticks and little clicking your fingernails, just little things that in meditation all really get called out to me. Like, you know, oh, gosh, this thing that seems so small and insignificant is a mountain in front of me. You know, one of my teachers told me that um, when we're sitting in meditation and we we want to move. But obviously we're sitting, so we're trying not to move. He said the only difference is when we go through our lives, normally, with the minute we get uncomfortable, we do move. We're just not realizing that we're doing that. Interesting. Yeah, so we're making a shift. We just don't realize we've adjusted. Well, that's that's interesting. I, I think about that a lot, even like with trauma, about adjustments, you know. And I think about how... It, um, someone who maybe has a knee injury or something they 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 walk with a limp to compensate for the injury and then they don't realize you know like the healing occurs and maybe the knee injury is even better but then the limp is sort of still there it's like the body they didn't realize that that adjustment was permanent right unless uh, you do like physical therapy or something right exactly <laughs> <laughs> So we just jumped right in. I love how this happens. You get like the train just starts going, man. These conversations are so dynamic. (laughs) So I am so 
I've been really looking forward to this because this is a complete, completely unique subject to anything else I've talked about on this podcast. I've never had anybody in your category really on the show. I mean, I've talked to spiritual people in different religions. I've talked to, you know, people who serve the community in different capacities. I've talked, you know, really just this broad spectrum, educators, um, you name it. And so this to me, I was like, okay, I have so many questions because I guess the intersection for me, I'm heavily interested in Buddhism. I mean, I would consider myself a practitioner, but when you start to intersect with Shaolin and Kung Fu, I'm not going to lie. Like my, my knowledge begins to really track off because I go, okay, I've been exposed to this through media mm-hmm. and I've seen it brought up inside of works that I've read, but never like a, in a focused way. I've always been like, that's very curious or very interesting but I really don't know a lot about like how that came to be, how it formed. Like, and then I followed you and just see the information you put out there and something that really framed this up. And maybe we can talk about it. You had posted something the other day and I just loved it so much because it was actually a little bit of a, a break for me. You posted, um, oh, how, how was it worded? Uh, be kind, but take no shit. Or something like that. And I was like, that is kind of something that is, I like that spot, I guess. Because I tend to lean towards this idea that we have to be sort of passive and fluid in a way that sometimes will, it sometimes can hurt us if we don't have a temper it with some kind of protective rigidity and i don't know what that even means what i just said no i understand what you're saying you know and i'm like how do you protect the beautiful things that are soft and good and wholesome and healthy without some kind of firmness like rock or hardness too and i guess there's some kind of balance there but anyway when i when i read that when you posted it i mean i kind of chuckled but i realized there was something deeper to that, that I maybe really needed to explore within myself because I'm almost afraid of the harder parts. So it was interesting. I'm jumping way off the cliff right out the gate here. So, oh, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. There is, there's so much there, right? Yeah. There's so much there. Um, I think for people who come to martial arts training, they're grappling with that very question. They're often very sensitive people possibly very emotional people, idealistic people. And when you take that heart into the world, obviously you get stomped on a lot. (laughs) Yeah, right. You just described me. (laughs) You just described me. (laughs) So then it becomes kind of a koan or a conundrum or a puzzle. How do you maintain that heart and that love and that compassion And really be in the world, be in the world with the way the world is, with the politics, with the social unrest, with the the environmental problems we're trying to solve, with all the different personalities and all the ways that different people think. How do you sit in the middle of all that and still have your open heart and not get hurt, not get destroyed? Because we know if you go too far one way, if you're too open, I mean, literally, you could be destroyed. 
yeah. psychologically, emotionally, or God help us physically. Yeah. Okay. So we have to find the balance where we don't have to give up one and we still could hold on to the other. Martial arts tend to help us with that because we're really learning just simplistically how to defend ourselves against an attack. But really, when you have that mindset, like I really need to defend myself, you might not realize it, but you're not only thinking about the physical self, you're actually thinking about all the other stuff, even though it might not be at the forefront yet. You're just thinking, I don't want to be physically attacked. Right, right. I see and what you're saying. It's going to come because you can't learn one without learning about the others. But we don't realize that when we first engage. Yes, all of that makes every bit of sense. And what you just said there about what you're actually defending is something that is very interesting to me. I mean, I really would like to, maybe I need to sit with that because that that gets into that territory like what am i defending like am i afraid of pain not necessarily am i afraid of wounds and being cut or harmed in that way maybe no but but something else i'm trying to defend it's not so much about being hurt or feeling pain it's more about the idea of what's inside of me that i'm trying to i guess protect and why because i want to give that to other people it hasn't got anything to do with me because i have children or i have a community or i have loved ones i want to i want to give them that part of me and i can't do that if it's taken or jeopardized and so uh, yeah it's a different i never really thought about it that way before like actually vocalize that am i am i getting into that in the space the right way but we also have to realize that there are so many different people in the world that some people will engage because they're not comfortable with physical pain. Mm. Some people will engage because they're comfortable with physical pain, but they're not comfortable with emotional pain. I was more like that myself because I'm, I'm a very physical person and I used to joke. I'm like, yeah, punch me in the face anytime, man, but don't break my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I could take someone punching me in the face, but I, I, I can't take the broken heart. And yeah. other people will feel differently. They'll be like, man, I'll, I'll take a broken heart any day. Just don't punch me in the face, man. I have physical pain. So interesting. I, you know, this. Uh, I'm going to tell this to you without really, I guess, tell it in a safe way. But I had an altercation many years ago with a, a, ne- a next-door neighbor, like someone on my street. Sure. And we had yeah. a good relationship, or at least a amicable relationship. There was no indication that there was any problem. And then out of nowhere, these sort of verbal attacks just started coming at me, like really hot and heavy. My nature was to say, okay, I don't like this, but this can't just be about me. There's got to be a source, right? So in my mind, I had this ideal, I had this idea that, well, you know what? All we have to do is go present your heart to someone say hey look i see this is going on maybe if we talk that then i we can get into that space and heal this thing uh that was my high idea but when i actually did take the action it really very quickly devolved into aggression like physic borderline it was about to head into a really bad place um and it never ended well but i remember when i went home and told my wife about what it all what had happened what had transpired I, I, I wept. I mean, I really did. I wept in front of her and I was like, you know, this is, it was, it broke my heart. And that yeah. was the true feeling. Like I saw around that time period, actually somebody said, don't, um, 
don't appeal to a man's better nature because you might have discovered they don't have one. And I was like, yeesh, you know, at the time period when that had happened, I thought that's actually, unfortunately, kind of what I experienced. Um, but it did make me realize as after my heart got broke in that experience, I was like, you know, it is important to for me to feel more confident, though, that I can protect this person in some kind of peaceful way. I don't know. That was important to me to try to discover mm-hmm. what that is. And it still is important because I don't have any desire to hurt anyone. Right. You know, but I don't want to be hurt. Yeah. Uh, you know, violence. I don't like, I don't like violence, but there's something about Shaolin and this intersection here that I, I'm seeing that I just go, okay, there's something fluid about it and an almost peaceful. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know where I'm going with that, but that's just my impression as somebody has no knowledge of it. Well, one thing about Buddhist practice is is there's a term coin called appropriate response. So practicing Shaolin in its complexity, meaning we practice martial arts, we do Qigong for energetic development, we do sitting meditation to become very aware of our internal environment. These three practices that go together also help us connect to our environment more so we have a better sense of maybe what's going on with another person. Mm. But it also helps us realize that in this engagement, what is the appropriate response? Mm. Now, just the desire to connect to someone else's higher self by itself might not have been the appropriate response in that moment. Right. So it develops our intuition and our sense of connectedness. So we also know in this situation, it's not just me and this other guy. I'm actually getting help from the whole universe through my intuition and through how I've developed my senses to trust my intuition on what the appropriate response is here. And I could also approach it calmly because I've had training. Mm. I have the trust in my training. I have the trust in my practice. But sometimes, so then it's also not giving up that this person doesn't have a best self. Mm. They do. They do. They do have a best self. But maybe the approach at that time wasn't the right way to engage it. That is a great advice. I mean, that's something I can take to heart and, and see how that really did play out as you just described. One way I've been trying to look at situations like that is um, as a doctor's prescription. You know, when you go to the doctor, he doesn't give you just a tonic, the same tonic every time. It's like, well, what's going on today? You know, how are we going to treat this and what's the treatment? Um, I'm trying to learn to bring that approach, you know, a multi-armed, multi-directional approach into situations because I... Yeah, believing in a high idea doesn't mean that idea is applicable in that situation. Like there, I, I, I approach that completely wrong. I'd love to blame that person and say that the aggression was wrong, and maybe it was. But I, I went in with a high idea, and that, as you stated, it wasn't appropriate. And that's a difficult lesson to learn because we want to see our ideas proved, you know? Right. And yes, I mean, there's there's two things now. Usually. With martial art training, because you are getting punched in the face, you know, <laughs> sooner or later, no matter how good you get, sooner or later, there's someone who's better. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I yeah. mean, it's just the way it is, right? 
So it teaches you that there's a humility also in our approach to how we engage the world in spiritual matters, that we, we often can't know what's best individually as just myself. I can't know what's best for everybody. Right. Okay, so there's a humility there. But yet, it also helps us keep our faith with us because we know even though I individually, with my frame of reference and my experience as Paula going through the world, I can't know what everybody needs. But I have faith that through my practice, I can connect to the larger environment and I'm going to get that help to figure out what to do in this moment. It's not only me trying to figure it out. It's all those who walked before me. It's all those who are walking with me now. And it's all those who will walk in the future. I love that. And I'm connected to them and they're helping me. And I have faith in that because I've experienced it in my practice. Yeah, now I like now, that. Now that's faith comes in because people will be like, oh, that's a bunch of crap, you know. So I, I believe it because I know what I felt when I practice. Yeah, you've tested it. You've put it into practice. That's the word. But I can't word. quantify it. I can't create a mathematical formula or measure it with some kind of scientific tool. So that's where faith comes in. Well, yeah, and you're bringing those things into your life, and then everybody else is going to bring it into their life. And each one of those things, while there may be uh, similarities, there's going to be nuanced differences and extreme differences each time. Right. So it's got to sort of flow out into that that world through each person right sure so i'm curious uh i'm gonna ask you to go back i'd love to hear how you came yeah. to this path <laughs> i mean where did you find this because i mean you've been uh, you've had been a teacher or, or to, for what over 25 26 years now is that accurate yeah, no, it's funny life is long man <laughs> in the school of hard knocks my friend really <laughs> No, I'm a lifelong Chicagoan. I grew up in a working class, a white working class immigrant, Polish immigrant community. I was raised, you know, I was born in the 60s. So um, I went through the 70s, which was a very turbulent time in this country. Of course, I was a child, so I didn't realize it then. Yeah. But, you know, it was a very violent time. It was a time when we were trying to put progressive policies in place. So there was a lot of social unrest. There was a lot of riots. Um, it was an awful economy. Um, you know, there were a lot of laws passed for gender equality, for women's rights, you know, all this stuff. So it was a very tumultuous time and it was a very difficult time. And, you know, um, in living in, in Chicago to this day, you know, it's a violent town. You don't necessarily experience it all the time, but I, I'm not, um, I'm not naive or, um, inexperienced with violence because, you know, growing up, there was always people getting into stuff and there was people, there were people that were getting harmed not so much gun fire at that time, but, um, you know, there was always something going on. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't go, nothing about my life is what, um, the American dream is supposed to be where, you know, you go to school, you go to high school, you go to college, you get a career, you know, all that kind of stuff, which I know realistically, even though that's our American dream, most people in America aren't living that. That's right. That's true. I, mean, I know that. It's only yeah. a third of the population. Um, so I wanted to, I always did well in school. I wanted to go to college, but it didn't work out. It just didn't work out. And um, I ended up getting a job down at the futures exchanges downtown, buying and selling contracts, financial industry. It was crazy. It was wonderful. 
I got the job because I needed a job, but I fell in love with it, and I managed to have a career down there for like 22 years. So here I am in, in the middle of uh, really the cesspool of anything that could be bad about humanity. You're going <laughs> to yeah. find there. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But at the same time, there was always a spark of faith and spirituality that was present. And, you know, I got married at a young age and that marriage didn't work out. And, and it was a somewhat abusive relationship. And then um, that kind of brought me to it. And to giving you the short version, it brought me to a bit of a spiritual crisis. And I did therapy and some 12 step stuff with that. And then that led to um, another marriage and um, a different type of flowering in my life. But that also didn't work out. And then that specifically led me to Kung Fu, to martial arts. Really? In the middle of all of that, though, I had been touched by Asian and Buddhist Buddhist thought throughout my life. Really? Interesting. In, in very unusual ways. So I'll give okay. you like one of the first ways. You know, when we were kids, we had no Internet. So we'd go to the library. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Find all this knowledge there. Yeah. And sometimes you would just walk down the aisles in the library, just looking at all the different titles and something might jump out at you. Yeah. So once I was there walking, I'm just running my finger along the bugs. <laughs> I love it. Yes. And then all of a sudden, boom, this title stuck out at me. There are no secrets here. Hmm. And I'm like, what? What's that? So I pulled out and it's about um, Tai Chi, Chen Men Ching ah. and his um, Tai Chi philosophy and him teaching in New York. And that had a major influence on me. I was 13 years old. It was a different way of looking at the world and looking at everything. I finished it, put it back on the shelf, and I totally forgot about it. But it, didn't pl it planted something, yeah? It planted something. And then junior year in high school, in a humanities class, we studied Siddhartha, oh. which is Hess's book of yeah. really about the historical Buddha. And that totally opened me up to Buddhist philosophy. And then from that point, I started looking into Buddhism more. Interesting. Here and there a little bit. But when I heard life is suffering and desire is the cause of all suffering, part of the Four Noble Truths, I can't come home. I'm like, oh, my God, I already realized this. And somebody else actually thinks this way besides me. <laughs> I, love, I love this. I, I mean, that is something that when it. I've had a similar experience, not exact, obviously not the same exact thing, but it was when I first heard those things, the four noble truths, the apparent truth of it was so obvious. It was like, Oh, so someone has actually figured this out. That's kind of what it felt like because right. you start to, it made me look back and go, yeah, I see this everywhere in my life. I can apply this and see this as true over and again. Oh, my gosh. It was like a big light bulb moment. And it was so simple at the moment, anyway, to go. And it felt refreshed, refreshing, I guess. Right. I didn't feel right. like alone on an island anymore, I guess. Yes. It opens up that door. Um, and, you know, as a teenager, you kind of have that teenage unwind, you know, and and. And you're like, what's the point of wanting anything? Because if you want something, it just gets taken away. Or what's the point if you're in a relationship, they don't like you anymore and they just go away. You know, so yeah, once yeah. you hear something like that in the middle of all of that, you're like, what? Yeah. 
<laughs> I love that. That's a, I love your description of that. You know, for me, it wasn't necessarily libraries. It was bookstores, but there was no Internet. And but it was the same thing. You know, it was just like, well, I don't know what's going on, but let me just try something. Let me. And, you know, you find a book that jumps out at you and you start there and maybe they mention another teacher or a philosophy that you go, oh, I don't know what that is. That sounds interesting. And then you just sort of follow the you pull the thread. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And one thing leads to another leads to another. And you find yourself in places you never thought you'd be. Sure. Because you're following wherever that interest is taking you. You know, it's wonderful. It's magical yeah. about life that it could be that way. Sounds magical. I love listening to you tell it. <laughs> when um when I got old enough and kind of straightened up my act a little bit, I decided to go to college, to go back to school. I was taking a theology course. It was at a, a Catholic university here in Chicago, and a nun was teaching the course. And I already had some experience with 12-step programs. And even though I was raised strictly Catholic, the 12-step programs kind of opened up stuff that mm. was already in Christianity, but I didn't realize it. I get that. Okay. You know, like getting your ego out of the way. And yeah. it's there. But I'm like, why did I never get this? And I brought it up to the teacher. And she goes, oh, don't you understand, though? The 12-step program is actually very Eastern in its mindset. It's been influenced by Eastern thought. And then that was it. I totally immersed myself then in Buddhism after that. Not meditation, though. Just okay. the twelve, uh, the Eightfold Path. So, uh, yeah, actions. Like something you can do. Something to practice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I could not sit in meditation. There's no way I would try because it's part of the Eightfold Path. And I've, I couldn't sit still for five minutes. Longtime Find the Good News listeners know that we often meander into topics on spirit, mysticism, religion, and wisdom traditions. If you are interested in these topics, I encourage you to seek out my new podcast, The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren. On The Dawn Deacon Podcast, I consider my small place in the whole of creation, asking the old questions that have perplexed human beings for ages. Why are we here? Is there a reason for our existence? How do we balm our sufferings? enlighten our minds, and awaken our hearts. Are there powers, energies, and realities just beyond our ability to comprehend them? On the Dawn Deacon podcast, I share the teachings, practices, and perspectives I have gathered as I've made my varied, sacred, ordinary way. I hope you'll join me at the Dawn Deacon podcast so that we can traverse this landscape together. Just search The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren in your favorite podcast app or search engine, then subscribe. I get that. I mean, I've struggled, as we talked about at the beginning, I've struggled with, I, not, not struggle with stillness necessarily, but I've struggled with sitting in stillness. Um, I I do like, I, I consider it meditation. I spend more time in meditation walking than I do sitting. Sure. Um, and I will, you know, that to me has been a better practice for me. Because I, I feel like I'm a comp, and I know that's probably driven by ego too, but I feel like I'm accomplishing many things at once. Um, I need the exercise. I sit a lot already in a job. So it's like, well, and I can, I need the doses of nature. It's like medicine for my mind and my spirit. So I feel like it's sort of like a package deal. Uh, but, but I get, I get what you mean. I looked back after I started reading about meditation. I was like, okay, maybe I have been meditating, but not intentionally. 
mm-hmm. not with intent, you know? Well, um, even one of my students the other day asked me how many times a week do I actually do sitting meditation? And she's like, you sit every day, right? And I'm like, no, I don't sit every day because I count my other practices as meditation. Ah, yeah, okay. So when I'm doing a Shaolin form, which is a series of martial movements connected, that is meditation. When I'm doing Qigong, which is breathing and gentle movement incorporated with my breath, that is meditation. And so I sit maybe three to four times a week, but I really like doing the longer retreats. Yeah. When I, yeah, diving in deeper, just like really making an intention to do that. Absolutely. And each one of those, if you bring intention to each one of those practices, like when you walk in nature, mindful and focused, there's no reason to say that's not meditation as long as your intention of being fully present is there. Yeah, this is something that kind of intersects with something from Christianity that I, I've heard discussed to pieces, but it, it clicked for me one day. It was um, one of something Paul wrote, and he says, pray constantly without ceasing. And people were like, well, how do you pray without ceasing? And I've heard everybody's description of what they think that means. But I, I've described to people, I say, if I go canoeing, Yes, I am canoeing, and that is an activity, and it is a sport. We have all these categories, but actually, I'm praying without ceasing when I'm doing that. My hands are praying when I'm pulling the paddle. You know, my skin is praying when the wind blows through my, you know, across my sweat. And so I, I try to take that. I look at it more, I guess, holistically in that regard. If I'm walking on the beach, my feet are praying in the sand, yes. and so I. And that's hard to describe, I think. I really do think it's hard to describe to somebody that's saying, well, okay, that doesn't sound fun. I don't want to pray. I just want to go to the beach. I just want to canoe. And I'm like, yeah, I I just, it's like a fusion. It's just a subtle awareness that there's more going on in this activity. I guess really all, not even more going on, it's just presence, I guess, with the activity. And this way we learn to take our spirituality into our entire life because oftentimes when we have a spiritual practice, we segment it. You know, we say, okay, I'm going to church now. Yeah. And then now here's the rest of my life. Right. How do you take that experience in church to the rest of your life? Or I'm sitting in meditation now. How do I take this experience off the cushion into the real world? Some of the things you're talking about, being mindful with canoeing is a way to bridge that and then feel how it feels to bring mind to movement in the real world. And then when we start interacting with people, maybe we'll have a sense of that as well. And we can bring it into that interaction. Yeah. But I agree with some of your other friends too. You can't do that every single moment of your life. Right. Sometimes you just got to throw a Frisbee and just be like, that was fun, right? Exactly. (laughs) Relax and, you know, just watch a movie or whatever the case might be and distract yourself. You know, because we're human. (laughs) You know what's funny? I I, I say this to my wife because, I mean, I can be a very serious, somber person. But I told her (laughs) one night, I was like, I know I'm a lot in that regard. But but sometimes I just want to watch Predator again. Yeah. You know, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I just want to watch Predator for the 400th time and just watch those dudes go through there and fight that thing. I mean, like, that's and that's a joke because I watch Predator too much. But uh, 
But I told her, so sometimes I just want to do that and I don't want to think about anything. I just want to yeah. just watch the entertainment, you know? And Well, Star Trek. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's okay to just chill out, you know, and not do that. You're right. I mean, it's, it's a mixed bag. It has to be a mixed bag. It's kind of like... Uh, God boy, this is gonna be a weird analogy, but it's one of these these drinks. I don't really like them, but it's those um, infused uh, water, the um, like Lacroix. Sure, sure, sure. You know, like <laughs> someone was like, mm, "I love the watermelon one," and I'm like, eh, "I mean, yeah, I can tell it's got watermelon <laughs> in it." And sometimes I feel like my spiritual life is like Lacroix, right? It's like, yeah, I can kind of. I'm really canoeing, but it's been kind of just sort of essenced with the uh, the mindfulness or a practice. Do you know what I mean? It's like sure. 90% of me is just having a good time, but then there's that 10% that's still got sort of a plugged in, I guess. Mm-hmm. I can see how something like Qigong would inform a lot of things in your life, though, right? I mean, once you begin that type of practice, I can imagine it starts to infuse our essence other areas it does but it happens organically Mm. you know so you really don't know how it'll affect any given person's life interesting because again we're we're totally complex we have our unique filters we have our own experiences that we bring to the practice this is one thing i also like about shaolin is i don't have to when the student walks through the door i don't have to determine exactly what's wrong with them right Right. I just need to teach them Kung Fu. Yeah. And the Kung Fu itself, because there's no way for me to completely know this person. I don't care if they're at my school five days a week. And we know this from our most intimate relationships. You know, your spouses, your kids, your other relatives, they continue to surprise, right? Depending on the conditions that you all find yourselves in, people are constantly changing in very subtle and sometimes gross ways. So it's impossible to completely know anybody. But if I just teach good Kung Fu, good alignment, good breath practice, good sitting, if I create a nice container that could sustain that practice for somebody, the practice is going to give that person what they need organically and naturally. Mm. I don't need to, like you said, create a prescription for them. It's going to happen because they're plugged in. Gotcha. Yeah, it seems like it takes it's a lot of fluid. Stress off the teacher too, you know, it takes a lot of stress off the teacher. Yeah, you don't have to. Um, you don't necessarily have to apply your analytical mind, your intellectual mind, to every person that walks through the door. So, where does your intersection with that begin? I mean, I get, I get your story. I interrupted you and took us way off in another path no, here, it's but. Fine. So, I mean, you get interested in Buddhism and Eastern thought. And and so at what point do you begin to really narrow that down and go, I I found, you know, Shaolin, Kung Fu, Qigong. Um, When does that happen? I mean, how does that happen for you? I think it's fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Just slowly. (laughs) Just more happy accidents. Yeah. You know, um, so here I have Buddhist thought in the Eightfold Path, and I'm trying to apply that. In whatever way makes sense, I don't have a formal teacher or anything like that. I'm doing, you know, again, radio shows, Uh, reading books, you know, because that's what we used to call podcasts. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Life changes so much in my life. 
So I, I was married a second time. And, you know, I said, like, my first relationship was a, a, abusive. I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, uh, No, I get blue. it. It's a part yeah. of your life, though. It's working. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know. So the second one that I married was complete opposite of the first one in my mind. And we were having some kind of discussion about something. And it was calm. It wasn't even a fight. But we were dissecting some kind of problem. And he he didn't like my response to something and he came toward me with his fist raised and it, I was shocked as well. And I, and now being a uh, growing up on the South side of Chicago, in some ways, you know, that when someone comes at you with your fist raised, the worst thing to do is to take two steps back like this. <gasps> yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. That's right. Usually the best thing. <laughs> Even if you're terrified. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I did that. And right. And what happened is, Literally, no lie, Oren, a switch went off in my mind and said, you need to take martial arts. Wow. Right as I took that step back with my hand in my mouth. I had no interest in martial arts whatsoever. It wasn't on my radar. But it's like in the moment, you're just immediately, I can imagine that, but it's like a strike of lightning, right? Like, I won't ever have to feel this way again. I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to be out of control. I mean, it probably had a lot to do with that, I'm sure. Like, I don't want to be in this position again. Exactly. Because I'm like, okay, you know, I had the problems with number one. I went through therapy and 12-step and all this stuff, and I figured I got my act together, and I had this Buddhist thought and all this kind of stuff. And then this this man who really was a genuinely kind man and everything so, so I'm like, well, obviously I'm bringing this out of people somehow. Oh, no. you know, I, and honestly, it wasn't like I was blaming him. Seriously. I'm like, I don't know why I'm bringing this out, but I need hmm. to figure this out. And if, if I'm going to continue to bring this out, I need to figure out what to do about it. Well, that's interesting. You know, self-defense is in some ways could be easy when you don't know the person. Because you have permission, and this is what I mean when I say I was in an abusive relationship and I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I was afraid to do anything and all this kind of stuff. Because I grew up on the South Side. We got into fights. I, I knew what that was like. I knew what it was like to have to kind of duke it out with somebody. But what happens when it's the person you love? Yeah, that's true. What God, that is so true. I mean, I was in a... I've, I've been married twice, currently in my second marriage, hopefully my last marriage. I have no indication it would be any different than that. But my first one, it ends up where the person that you love that you get married to ends up becoming the person that's hurting you and is your enemy. It is a very complicated thing. Very complicated. For me, that rewired things in my head, like permanently, that I still... Trust thing, trust issues that I still like. Ha- they're they're there. They influence. I'm I'm aware of them, but I have to watch them because right. when they start to vibrate and sh- play their little notes, I'm like, oh, is that is that? Uh, do I have a clear view of this situation? You know, or has this? Yeah. Or am I still being influenced by this broken trust? It's but but it has to do with the because I cared for that person. If I didn't care about them, it wouldn't have influenced me the same way. Right. So it's strange. A ball of wax, man, when you care about somebody. Yeah. If you're familiar with violence at all, you also know if you decide to engage. Now, again, this is just being a kid in the city. If you decide to engage, it could escalate. Mm. 
and it could escalate even more and it could escalate even more. And then before you know it, someone's in jail for the rest of their life. Man. I know what happens if you decide to engage with someone you love. Yeah. Because you already have that passion. Yeah. So, you know, it's not going to end well. Yeah. You know, if you, and this is what I mean with domestic abuse. If you have two people who are going to duke it out with each other in that passion, it's not going to end well. Yeah. You know, so in, in some ways it almost relies on someone taking a passive role, right? Yeah. Golly, man. I mean, it's just, that's what what I mean. Like here I'm thinking, this is the hubris though, right? I'm thinking, yeah, I got my shit together now, right? Mm -hmm. And then someone who I consider to be a kind of passive, nice man raises his fist to me. I'm like, yeah, something's still off here and I got to figure out what it is. But the universe gave me that answer to take martial arts. Yeah. And again, Kung Fu, it wasn't like I said, it's got to be Kung Fu because Kung Fu is something to do with, with Buddhism. I just started exploring different martial arts schools. Yeah. I went to one that was close to my house. They had a female black sash there, which at that time was a little bit more unusual. She was short like me, had a lot of energy. I could tell the men around her respected her and liked her. Okay. Even though she was loud and kind of crazy, you know, and all this. Because in my mind, I'm like, maybe that's why people want to hit me. (laughs) because <laughs> you, know, you have to figure this is you know 25 some years ago because um, things are a little bit different now um, I'm like yeah they seem to like her so I'm going to sign up here because they could probably put up with me I get it I mean it makes sense and it right so, it so happened to be Kung Fu that's, how, that's what I mean like dumb luck yeah it just so happened to be Kung Fu how <laughs> interesting now, that, none of them, because they did martial arts, they couldn't answer my question of, like, they were just doing the martial arts, right? They didn't care about the Buddhist side. Right. Of this is just the, the physicality, right? Right. So I'm like, what does this have to do with Buddhism? Because I already knew about Buddhism, and I knew it's nonviolent. I knew you're not supposed to kill. You're not supposed to fight. You're not supposed to hurt people. Like, what is this going on here? And they're like, I don't know. We're just doing martial arts, man. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you don't need the Buddhism to do Kung Fu. I got gotcha. you. It's kind of like you can go canoeing without having to, you know, <laughs> it's like what I, we were talking exactly. about earlier. I can just do the thing. Yeah. I don't have to do worry about the philosophy and all that and bring that with me. Right. Or you could have someone row for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know that's really off topic. But <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, that's a shortcut, right? I mean, and so you're 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 in a. A situation where you're learning the physicality, but you've already got, you've already been imprinted by the spiritual teachings. Right. So you're bringing that into the Kung Fu studio. I don't know what the right word is. So right. Yeah, me. I know. That's fine. Yeah. Studio is fine. Um, yeah. So that was that. And a lot of questions, but no concrete answers. Yeah. And then... China started opening up more. Okay. What year is this? Uh, so about? now we're about nine, about 92. Okay. Three. Gotcha. And one of the first Shaolin monks to establish himself in the United States, Shuryan Ming, he's based in New York, but he came to Chicago. He just had gotten here. He still didn't have a school or anything. And he did a seminar at my Kung Fu school. Oh, did and he? so I'm like, oh, good. Finally, I could actually ask a Shaolin monk, what does this have to do with Buddhism? Yeah, how do these two things go together? That's great. Okay. 
can't speak English, so there's a, a Chinese teacher there translating for us. So finally, we're doing our stuff, and people say, if you have any questions for Shenyang Ming, and of course, my heart is pounding, because, you know, it's something that you really care about. Yeah, and yeah. Open it up in front of all these people. So I ask him, I'm like, you know, Buddhism teaches nonviolence. It teaches not to kill. So how can martial arts be part of Buddhist practice? And he, he went like this. And he looked at me. And he said, I don't know. Oh, man. Wow. And he goes, <laughs> this question we've been trying to answer for ourselves at Shaolin. Interesting. For of years. That's a good answer, but that is a confounding answer. It's a very answer. Zen answer. It's a very <laughs> Zen answer. Because Zen doesn't want to put um, a format, a structure. I shouldn't say structure, but it doesn't want to give you a definitive answer so that you can't ever find another way. Okay. It doesn't want to put you in a bottle. It wants you to continuously ask questions. Yeah. So it you keeps that your softness you were talking about, that yeah. heart, that soft heart. It wants you to be able to maintain that softness, that openness, that inquisitiveness, and that curiosity. And so that answer probably made you more curious, I'm assuming, at that moment. And that pulled you towards Shaolin, right? And trying to hopefully have someone in my life that could answer those questions. But at that point, that person wasn't there. I see. I can see that being for some people. I can, well, I can even speak for myself, maybe not in that same category, but I mean, there's times when I've um, got involved in something because of my perception. Like, you know, I wanted to know more. You know, um, gosh, I don't really want to, let me just say, like, there was like a religion that I was interested in, and I had an idea about it, and I had done my own research, and I thought, you know, there was a layer to it that I was highly interested in. Mm -hmm. But what I found to get to that layer was that I had to get through a lot of stuff that I just uh, didn't agree with, like really just fundamentally did not agree with and what i discovered was that that layer was very thick and very populated and the layer that i was trying to get to was very thin and not populated and i didn't really have the time i I didn't feel like i had the time to devote to get through the thick layer and it was disappointing Mm -hmm. so i just i just said you know i need to back out i need to back out now this isn't per- worth persevering through. I think I'm just crashing because it's going to feel like I'm beating my head against the wall right? Uh, to get where I want to get. And so I backed out. So I could see someone getting into Kung Fu. I mean, just a hypothetical person mm-hmm. could get into Kung Fu, but bring their, bring their own Buddhism with them and then get in the wrong studio maybe and be like, oh, this is uh, just the physicality. I want more and then not be able to find the more in a teacher. That could be disheartening, I could, I think. And I would say for a lot of martial artists, that does happen quite really? often. It's like anything, because you engage with the physical practice, but eventually, if there's not more substance there, mm. you know something's missing, but you don't really know what it is. And you realize you're basically just in an exercise class. 
Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Oh, man. I'm just drawing that line between what I just told you, and it's so similar, even though it's in a, I guess, a religious context. It was the same type of situation, you know, where I'm going, wait, we're just saying these prayers on repeat. There's no passion, no spirit. We're just doing this automated robotic stuff. And when you ask someone why, they're like, I don't worry about that. This is just what we do. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm excavating here. You know, I'm not going to be able to accept just a whatever kind of answer. Yeah, I get that. So I could see that comparison with martial arts. Like, that's exactly what I felt like the way you were. Like, I realized I was just in an exercise class and I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was very similar. So I, again, though, I lucked out. Um, Other people that were at that school could see and other people have been doing martial arts for a while. They could see that I was searching for things. Yeah. And they tried to point me in the right directions with like other teachers that maybe they they knew about but they they didn't really study under but they kind of knew like they were into it more or they were more energetic with it or whatever whatever label someone might put on what they saw okay so they pointed me to another teacher um who i eventually got my black stash from okay and the first one who could answer at least give me some kind of answer about what does buddhist practice have to do with martial arts and he said well you know i'm 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 not a buddhist i'm not interested in buddhism i'm a christian i believe in jesus christ he said but i could tell you what i know about martial arts and you could tell me if maybe it's similar to buddhism because i don't really know interesting Exactly, right? It's interesting, yeah. And it's just wonderful. I love this. So he goes, if you take martial arts to your highest level, when you're in conflict with somebody else, it really isn't you against the other person. You're really trying to connect to that person energetically. And when you connect to them energetically, when you actually become one with that person, then you could dissipate the aggression Hmm. now this goes back to your situation with your neighbor yeah you wanted to do that you really wanted to do that when you tried to connect with him and open up but the skill set wasn't there to connect where that guy was energetically yeah right you made that connection with him on a high level in martial art practice you could temper like once that person kind of is symbiotic with your energy you're tempering their aggression then yeah there are layers to that so if you're not a very accomplished martial artist it happens first physically and then if you're good at qigong maybe you could look them in the eye and you could energetically somehow connect there and if you're really highly skilled you're doing it on all those levels you know physical energetically and you're connecting to the wider universe you know, which I keep coming back to, you're getting the help from everybody to kind of balance that out, kind of make it a little broader and wider. So the intensity of it could dissipate a little bit. You, you've said that, and I want you to, if you can dive into that. So the listeners that aren't familiar with what you're saying, understand when you say you're getting help from everybody, what do you mean? All the life in our universe 
is like and that means not only sentient not only human all because when you practice qigong we know everything in our universe is comprised of different types of energetic signatures and we're connected to all of it you know how they say the that we're made out of stars yeah okay so we're connected to all of it but for all of us most of us that's an intellectual concept that's really hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah. When you practice any of these disciplines, and again, it doesn't have to just be sitting meditation because we don't know the uniqueness of each individual. But when you practice certain disciplines that allow you to start to connect to all those energetic signatures, you start realizing that all of this energy is available to you and not only what's here right now, but if you break away the constructs of time, people who have lived in the past, the people who are living right now, and the people who are going to live in the future, all of that in this sphere, all of that is available to us. Okay. I like now, I, this. This is cool, too. Let me tell you something one of my other um, Dharma teachers told me. When speaking specifically, because I like to always go back to our real lives, because, you know, you have this big concept and you're like, well, okay, yeah, that could be a dream, right? Mm -hmm. But as teachers and all of us, as people out in the world, as we're moving about our lives, you know, there are times where you feel very physically drained and sometimes more drained than others. And it might be when you're around a certain situation or certain people and you're like, man, why do I feel so fatigued? And what he told me is because the ego is involved and you are trying to find a set solution that you have in your mind over this situation. Okay, so let's say you're a boss and you want your employee to do something. And, you know, this is part of our lives, right? They have to do their job. And you keep trying to get us, you keep trying a certain way to get this person to do their job. And they just keep resisting you. You know, you could always fire them. But um, that's the easy way out, right? So you keep trying and keep trying, and you're getting exhausted by it. My Zen teacher will say, well, you're getting exhausted because you're putting your ego onto the situation, and you're seeing an end solution that is only one solution. So you need to open your heart, open your thinking, get your individual ego out of the way a little bit. Let the energy of the universe kind of come through, and you're going to get a different solution to this problem. You're going to find a different way to approach this problem. And when you could open up, allow your intuition to kind of feel and create an idea from that energy coming through you, then you could apply that different solution that pops into your mind. And you won't feel as drained. Oh. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But then you might find another solution if you keep your mind and heart open. I love everything you just said. I love it because it is practical uh, and it it can be difficult to get your ego out of the way in the rapid fire situational world that we live in. I mean, you yeah. know, it's like just so many decisions. Con I mean, I feel that just on a day to day basis when I sit down in the morning to do my project lists for the day. I can make this every day. I make a structure. I mean, it helps guide the day. I know who I need to contact and the projects that are in front of me and how much time I've allotted 
But every day I know, I mean, I've been doing it for t- over 20 years. I know there's going to be things that are going to jump in from the sides and just take this Jenga block I've made and just start pulling the pegs out sure. and make it unstable. The more unstable it becomes, the amount of energy I spend trying to keep that Jenga tower from falling down completely is all about ego then. I mean, at that point, I'm I'm completely about my discomfort and trying to keep other people comfortable and make all these things happen. And all my focus gets put on that. But, but you're right on the when I can get out of that mode and go, hang on. Let 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 the energy of the universe literally become like a, a conduit. My wife would say a spigot, you know, like mm-hmm. clear out all the little nozzles on your shower head, you know, so they're all firing uh, a good stream of water. Then you get a different look at that Jenga block. And so, on certain days, I'll just go, oh, it's OK. So I'll, I'm going to let it fall down today and I'm just going to pick the pieces up that I think I can handle. And then the whole thing works out. It's fine. Right. But it's hard. It, it is hard how e- it's well, not hard. It's just how easy to fall into the trap of ego it is daily to just get caught in that wheel of just things to do and people to communicate with and make happy or sad and all these little things you're trying to balance. It's just not conducive. And I don't want to live like that. And I, I, I know it's not. I, I know that that world is out there i know that being a different way is out there but boy it is it is different it's difficult there's a little piece from walt whitman's uh song of myself i think where he says beside the pulling and hauling stands what i am and i remember when i read it it was like just seared in my memory because i was like oh gosh that's that's what i would i want to be the what i am that's beside the pulling and hauling Mm -hmm. well inherently though the pulling and hauling is is so much part of our human experience. It is, yeah. So one thing the Shaolin also teaches us to do, though, is to accept that as part of our spiritual journey, completely also embrace the difficulty. Mm. And and oftentimes in spiritual practice, in so many ways, we think we're going to get to a place where nothing's ever going to be difficult anymore. Right, and that's not true. And we judge ourselves. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not woke if it's hard. <laughs> right. you know I mean? No, it's true, I'm guys. Like, no. <laughs> oh, but man. That's not true. And it, and one thing about Shaolin is we look very closely at what the human experience actually is. And once we could accept that the difficulty and the friction is also part of our practice, it makes the practice easier to embrace. Interesting. We can have the difficulty yeah. without the openness and the equanimity, but we can have the openness and the equanimity without the difficulty because we wouldn't know that it's openness and equanimity if we never felt the friction. Yeah, this makes me think of like a key to a door, you know? I mean, when you yeah. go, I have, I have the key to my front door to my home and I, I have one that's new and one that's older than the older one slides in the lock so easily and the door turns, but the newer one, I have to kind of wiggle it still, you know, and turn it. Cause it's just got sharp edges on it. They're, they haven't been worn down yet. It's not, not doesn't fit right. Quite right. It works, but it's still a little clunkier than the, mm-hmm. the older one, you know? And, and is this then what our life is, you know? Like you're asking the big questions, 
with every guest you have, right? What is this human life? What is it about? Why are we here? What are we doing? So is this inherently part of part of it? Yeah, I think I read somewhere, and my son and I were talking about this. I don't know where I read it. After a while, everything blends together. But it was, you know, talking about the realm of the gods. And it was like, the gods want to come here because it's so blissful in the in these blissful realms that they can't learn anything. Yeah. And, you know, but at the same time, they, too, were were humans that arrived at this blissful realm you know, only to wish to return, you know, it's like we strive to get to this place, as you described, that's everything's okay, and we're not struggling, and there's no suffering, but the very action of trying to get to that place gets us to a place where we actually perhaps would desire to return to this place. It kind of, it's an interesting thing to really sit and wrap your head around. It, it, when you were talking about something earlier, I was thinking about some experiences I've had where... Well, I guess when you were saying that um, they're there to help us, everyone and everything, and I, I think about this sometimes when I've, I look back on particular, particularly hard instances in my life where that clarity would then sort of rest on me at some point, where it would just like, even in the midst of great suffering, and even if I were feeling it in 100% ego, when the when this sort of elixir would sort of come it mm -hmm. was always this feeling that it was just me. And mm -hmm. a, a few times I've even described it as um, me telling me, well, we've already done this, so it's okay. It's like it's not – it's like um, another version of me from some other place that's almost – it's like everything's already done, if that makes any sense. It's like the sphere of time and space sort of melts away, and it's like future, past, present is all one thing. And it's like, well, it's okay because you've already died. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's like the no, way... Not necessarily, not necessarily. If you, like Buddhism teaches, there's multiple lives. Not everybody believes that. Um, I, I, I do believe that our energetic... You know, we're unique energetic signatures right now, but I do believe our energy gets recycled. And for me, even before I looked at Buddhist practice, if you look at the world around you, if you say, okay, we're in a natural world, we're on the earth, if we look at the natural world around us for some kind of sense of what's going to happen to us, we see the seasons renewing life right. on earth over and over. So I take a lot of comfort in that, that somehow that must be something that happens to us yeah i i kind of chuckled one day i listened to a lot of comedians and the somebody asked this comedian if, uh that i follow if he believes in reincarnation and he said well i mean you know i was already born once so i mean that's kind of amazing and uh, i mean i you know and he was like so i mean why couldn't it happen again and the way he said it was such this jovial nonchalant but he made a good point he was like well it's already already an amazing thing already happened. I was right. born and I took on this body and have consciousness. Why couldn't that another amazing thing happen? And I was like, he's kind of got a good point. It's, it's not as heavy when you look at it that way as just a, right. a thing right. that happens, you know? Right. And as you sit pointed to nature. I, yeah. And you know how sometimes I think everybody experiences this, that you feel you have experience in things that you really shouldn't. Yeah, You know, you might find a situation and you're like, wow, I'm vaguely familiar with this. Or you're attracted to certain things in life 
that you're like, wow, where did that come from? So I, I feel like those are leftovers from previous incarnations. Yeah. But I don't think that, like, as far as Paula Lazars goes, I'm not going to be reborn as Paula. Right. You know, this, this is a unique set of circumstances, and it's a one-time thing. So this goes back to Christian thought. Like, I don't think Paula's going to live again. You know, that, that self-identity and that conglomerate. Yeah, because what is it, right? Exactly, it yeah. Yeah, that's a one-time shot. <laughs> yeah, all this stuff is just, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, I think of it as like a vacuum cleaner. Life is like that. You're just sucking stuff up into the bag, and at the end whatever you rolled over during your life is kind of makes your identity, you know, and that's yeah. what's in the bag at the end, you know, but that's not really whatever that is. That's just an accumulation of elements. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, that stuff's really fascinating to me that the whole timeline idea and, and, and looking at it as a sphere and then ancestors, you know, and things like that, where it's like, well, okay, well, if they, are they, is the past still a thing? You know, is my grand in the past, a relative is still there. They're still living, if that makes sense, you know, and if we don't look at it in a linear way, it kind of changes the energy of the way an ancestor could be sending energy forward and maybe one from the future could be sending it back and then you're doing the same. It's a beautiful kind of cycle that, and I could ramble about that for probably two hours and never get anywhere, but it's kind of a beautiful thing that is very helpful to some degree, comforting. Well, you know, I have a crackpot theory about everything. So <laughs> I'd love <laughs> to hear a crackpot theory. <laughs> you know, saying like, you know, I was saying that I don't believe like Paula, once I'm gone, Paula's not going to exist again. But for people who knew me, and now this goes back to what does the human form do for us, right? I do believe that when you think about, let's say, for example, a dead relative, you're creating the structure the energetic structure for them to exist again. Ah. They're not existing in the physical form, but they are very much alive through the, the, the synapses and the thought process of you remembering them. They are still very much alive and they're very much with you. It's almost like you create a matrix when you think about them for, for that energetic signature to come together again and communicate with you. I think that is so helpful. I mean, that is so helpful the way you outlined that, because we all often hear that as sort of like just a a quip that maybe is said to comfort people who've lost someone where they say, well, they still live in your heart. They still live in your memory. And as long right. as you were tell to remember them, they're living. And I've said things like that, but I only to avoid having to get too much deeper because you just don't know what everyone's willing to accept. But I, I think what you just said there that gets into some territory that I think is very helpful, very, very helpful and, and comforting, but also perhaps very real, you know, like that's more tangible than maybe we realize when we say things like that, that we actually are forming. Well, one thing when, when we talk about pain for humans and we know most of us have all experienced some kind of pain in our life. And we know that when we are in the throes of it, we do feel very much alone, like you said, Orin. So I think anything that can encourage a person to not feel cut off and alone is helpful. And I firmly believe, as we keep coming back to, that there is help there. 
So just getting getting a crack in the mind and, and, and a bit of the heart and the mind to open, if it only is a relative that might be gone, that someone felt very close to you and has fond memories, if they could hold that person, if they're in pain and they could hold that person in their heart and they could believe that person is with them, it's going to help ease their pain. And that's a, that's a beginning on the step to recovery from pain. But we're in this together, and the more isolated we feel, we see this, you know, in, in everything that's going on in our world. The more isolated we feel, feel, or the more entrenched we get into um, separate groups, yeah. the more painful our life experience is. Yeah, that's true. We can't have an opinion, you know, but we need to find ways to connect with each other. Yeah, little bridges. I mean, I, I'll take a little bridge any day of the week, just a small one. You know, I, I'm okay with that. I mean, I can disagree with someone on a lot of things, but if we can find something in common that we can do together that actually helps people, you know, then that widens that bridge over time, I find. You know, the more people that traverse that space. And uh, that's what I'd really like to see happen. In the world. I think we desperately need that right now because we're not doing so great um, in that department. <laughs> Well, that's one thing with Shaolin as well. It attracts people from all different walks of life. And I, I believe that it's not only Shaolin, but it's other things could do this too. We're coming together and sharing an activity. It doesn't require us to discuss our, our political views, our religious views necessarily, because we're doing a physical practice. We're engaging with each other in this practice, whether it's even sitting in meditation or actually doing forms in martial arts or practicing Qigong together. And it's connecting us as human beings with each other before we actually start opening our mouths and having some kind of conversation. So you could feel a trust and companionship with people before you really even start talking to them. And that's an actual good place to start. Yeah, I agree. That's something that I think having my trust broken, you know, kind of jumping back to that earlier marriage, mm -hmm. having my trust broken while as bad as it was and while it did leave me with things to deal with, um, it has made me look at trust differently. It made me seek it more. And and maybe I'm hold maybe I hold people to a different standard than I did in the past, but I don't think that's necessarily an unhealthy thing. You know, it's made me be a more um proactive truster if that makes any right, sense right right no it does make a lot of sense because we have to acknowledge that people could change yeah so so you're trusting people in the moment and you're putting one foot in front of the other but but really to expect someone to be exactly the same person for any given individual so like if i'm in a relationship to someone and i i'm kind of demanding they be exactly the same person for the next 20 years that's not fair to them that's right it's, yeah, i'm going to trust them as if they're exactly the same come on man i'm with <laughs> like you the, like, one of the on. things that i've thought over and over and again about people who've hurt me especially the ones way in the past I've, i say this little mantra to myself Especially when I'm struggling with maybe forgiveness or letting something yeah, go, I'll say, yeah. hey, that's they're not the one who hurt you, even though they have that person's name and address and their zip code and their phone number. But that's not the person who hurt me, because if they were, then that means I've cast them in stone with a plaque on it at that point in time. And I'm not that way. 
You know, right. I know I've changed. So people do right. change. Now, granted, they may still hurt you again. That That's yeah. true. But you, at some point, they're going to have to change. We all we're not fixed. Mm-mm. So I have a this is like going to deviate a little bit, but I uh, I see that you're consulting on the new CW show Kung Fu. Is that accurate? I'm not consulting. You're not consulting. Both okay. Station just had me do some promo spots for it. Okay, I, I kind of didn't understand what was going on with that. Yeah, no, we did some promo spots. You know, that was my first exposure really to any kind of Asian disciplines. Was the original show Kung Fu? Yeah, with David. Uh, yeah um and that's what i mean um the people that come to do kung fu with me i know a lot of them have that ideal in their mind right yeah and i'm a full-time martial artist and for those of for those of us that do kung fu full-time there's not many um we like to say we're living the dream (laughs) right (laughs) so i was yep i'm living the dream man i'm living the dream but anyway, there is a there is a lot of difference now um, with the the new show. I saw the pilot. Yeah, me but too. Okay. You know, it's made for younger people. Their their way of engaging with the world is different, um, and I'm sure it's going to bring the practice to a whole new generation of people. Yeah, through that perspective, you know. Well, I did watch their promos. I, are they the ones where you're teaching different things? There's a whole yeah. series of them. Yeah, I thought they were really cool. I was like, well, this is cool. You. you know, especially <laughs> you know, for me, I was like, wow, I, you know, this is something you can just do, right? And it could be that yeah. first step for somebody who's going, well, look, I couldn't do kung fu, but then they see the videos and the way they're structured, and they're real short, like what two, two and a half minutes long. Not even that. Or okay, they they're want not one minute. Teach something, teach kung fu in one minute. Yeah. <laughs> what they're like? Talking with my friends, I'm like, you know, you're a master when you can teach kung fu in less than a minute. <laughs> well, I thought they were really cool. I was, my my thought was this could be like the the perusing the library books, you know, and this could be one of these things where somebody's like, oh, this this position feels good. Or right. when I stand like this, I feel a certain way. And it's like a right. certain, you know, it could be that one little thing where they're like, you know, I remember do- watching these promo videos. I mean, yeah. it happens to people that I, way. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Because we're not all going to be Bruce Lee, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, even that, you know, like Bruce Lee, to me, it's, see, that's, a, that's interesting how entertainment can skew the way you view things. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and Bruce Lee is one of those kind of figures to me that I still don't know how I process him because I just go, OK, I, I was introduced to him through action films. Right. And so my mind, I I see him as an action movie star. It's kind of like Steven Seagal was in that category when I was younger, sure. too. And I was like, Steven Seagal, wow, he's kicking ass, you know. You know, and breaking bones, and it was cool. I mean, I hate to say it, but back when I was young, I was like, man, he's beating the hell out of these bad guys, and it like felt good, revenge movies or whatever. And then get older, and I'm like, what was he doing? And you start to go, oh, Aikido, and then you start to scratch the paint, and you're like, what the heck? How did we get from this to these hyper violent, bone breaking, smashing yeah. people through windows and stuff? Yeah. And so I guess if you don't ever scratch the paint, you might just get the, that part of it. You know what I mean? Right. Well, fighting fighting was there first, really. I mean, the need for people to physically def- defend themselves goes back to the beginning of mankind. 
So really, you, the question is, how did we get to a keto from this bone-breaking, oh, elbow-knocking? I know? see. So that's really the question. Hmm. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I get you. Peace and peace, love and harmony wasn't the root. <laughs> it was the. It came. You know, that's interesting because I. From what you know, anthropologists and historians tell us, we none of us were there. Yeah, well, like if you read The Way of Peace and you're just going, wow, this is an incredible, this, you could live by that book, you know, and go and consider that the root of the physical manifestation of Aikido. And then maybe, yeah, see, there you go again. If you don't pull the thread far enough, you just don't know. So, yeah, Kung Fu, and I guess, and Bruce Lee was. Embracing all of it. Embracing all of it, not just not just picking out threads that seem nicer. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, it, I saw in a documentary somebody called it enlightenment, and he was calling it like the, uh, you know, California culture. You know, and that's no slide on California. I don't know what's like over there, but he was just yeah. kind of saying like it's sort of like a upper class spirituality, you know, where you're gonna pick and choose and curate your little basket of what feels good, mm-hmm. but if it gets any any, any kind of trouble or suffering, gets kind of shut out. And I, I was like, yeah, that's not gonna work for me in my life, you know. Right. I don't have, I don't need that kind of fruit basket. I need, you know, something that's got some uh, tools that can actually go through some things. Right. Right. And I agree with you. Um, and then for me personally, and again, we can't speak to other people's experiences and what they find helpful. Right. But for me personally, you know, I, I was in too much pain for that to work. Right. You know, just having that, well, try this, try that, maybe this, maybe that. I mean, I had to go a lot deeper because, um, I was hurting too bad. Yeah, I get it. Like, I I was robbed recently. And, you know, once I haven't been robbed, I don't know if I've ever been robbed to this scale. And they just, it was, there were sentimental things that were stolen, you know, and like goods that you've worked for. Yeah, it's been complicated. Like, it, believe it or not, it's like been an exercise for me to like look in myself. And I hate to say it, but like, I'm, I'm actually kind of glad in some ways because it's revealed like some pretty darker things like, you know, in me, like angers that I think I've got because I would say, man, I'm angry about this. And then mm-hmm. when I pull on it, I was like, oh, I'm not just angry that they stole the stuff. Now I'm angry that we live, you know, like this anger's bigger. It's this was just sort of the thing that revealed it, right? I started to look at society and then my city and it, it was like this web that kept expanding. I was like, yeah. So like I was looking, looking at the angry at some of the domino effect that creates the situations like this. And, right. you know, and then, then the other thing is, can I, can I process this in a healthy way? Because I can't, because right. I can't do anything about it. You know, hundred percent victim. So I'm like, I have no power over this at all you know it's done the the loss is real you know and again it's just stuff but at the same time it was just more complicated for me yeah you know to work through and it's been an interest i'm still working through it to be truthful yeah in our practice we're always trying to in a sense pick at scabs that people have so that and this is exactly what you're talking about when you have an experience and then you feel some primal emotions or extreme emotions that maybe you didn't expect and you're looking at kind of your own dark side let's say yeah you know when you could look at your own dark side 
and then say, okay, I have this in me. You know, it's not easy to look at that. You know, it's easy to, to look at other people's dark side and, right. <laughs> and judge about it. But when we start feeling things, it's important to look at it courageously because if we could really understand when we feel anger or when we want revenge or when we feel frustration or whatever the case might be, all those emotions and those mind states that you know we push against, if we could really understand them, then when we go out in the world, we can really understand them when they happen in other people. Yeah. And then we can think of an appropriate response because we're not like, well, you feel that way, but I never feel that way. Right. You could go, you know what, brother? I know how that feels. Yes. I know how that feels. And when I was feeling like that, well, maybe, oh, talk to me wouldn't have worked for me. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Or whatever my No, maybe you're totally right. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to be honest about your own humanity before you could fix any problem. And, and Shaolin practice forces you to constantly look at the truth of your own humanity. Because when you're sparring with somebody else, you don't have a choice. It's going to bring out things. Yeah. Like when your good friend punches you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to get passive or are you going to go, man, I want to, you know, and then go, whoa, that's my good friend. And I was just willing to take his head off. Yeah. Well, it's like reminds me of that old Mike Tyson quote everybody loves. It says everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. You know, it's exactly. like, yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, getting into an, an altercation or even just a conflict or, or sparring, I, I imagine, I mean, it makes things really sharp. I would, I'm sure, like yes. very present. One of my last guests was just talking about this. He was actually in the military, and he was talking about being in combat in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And he told me a story that uh, was really, I got highly interested when he brought it up. He was in the middle of a firefight, and he was telling me about this, this butterfly that he keyed in on. And he said it was like 30 seconds, but it felt like, forever he said and it was like i couldn't really at that point tell you the difference between me and that butterfly and he said i, I knew like I, I was like i was it and he said it was like the conflict itself had heightened his i guess the, that moment you know and, and i was like it was just fascinating the way it changed his perception and the lasting effect that it had even post-conflict you know on the way he was looked at the world and that landscape and even the rain, just everything changed. And that's it. Like no one would want that experience on themselves, but this extreme experience he had opened up his connection to the universe. So sometimes we don't know, like sometimes you can't open that up by just coddling people. Mm. Sometimes it does take an extreme experience, but you know, you trust the universe to provide it to you, you know, because no one would say, Leah, let's take a bunch of people and put them on the battlefield and have people pointing guns at them so maybe they could open up spiritually. Like yeah. you wouldn't do that to someone, but he found himself in that situation and that's what happened for him. Yeah, that's getting into some like kind of almost like vision quest type territory, yes. even. I mean, it's very yeah. similar what it sounds like. I mean, even kind of jumping we we brought up christianity a few times i mean that's kind of how i've placed even jesus in my life like yeah that whole passion i mean we just came through easter and right. I, i'm like look that's not just 
a contract. For me, I look at that and I'm like, no, there's something happening here that's very Vision Quest-like. Mm-hmm. And it is horrible, gruesome yeah. pain and suffering. And, and the counterweight to that is this love that we keep hearing about that is like endless and boundless broke broken through this terrible torture tragedy situation i'm like that makes some sense it's horrible to have to think that that's what it takes but there's this strange door that seems to open there and i agree with you it's almost like um it's hard to engage with it because you're one could be afraid what other people might think if you engage with it too much. Yeah. Kind of like Mel Gibson made the passion, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. wow, why is he so attracted to violence? You right, know? right. But but I, I think you're right. Like there there's there's a message and it's almost like we don't want anyone to suffer ever, so we can't almost say this, right? Yeah. But there's a message in the crucifixion. Now and and Jesus's willingness to accept it. Yeah, to enter that like and it was the way of his father, and his father was asking this of him, and he had free will. He had free will. He could have walked away, but he was willing to accept what he had to go through. Yeah. And what what and and again, this kind of like now throwing back to Zen. Here's another question for us as humans that we could hold with us on our spiritual path. What does this mean? Why was it important? that Jesus go through this. Why is this an important aspect of the Christian story? What does it mean for us as human beings? What does it mean about pain? What does it mean about suffering? Yeah, well, even that whole thing about the realm of the gods and you can't learn without coming here. It's like Mm -hmm. that idea is infused in there, too. It's like, nope, there's, there's a way. And there's a price, oddly enough. It's like this is the price for something else to occur. And it seems crazy, I know, and this is a weird conversation. Some people would just go, No, look, this is advocating <laughs> suffering and pain and but I don't but I don't know how to really sometimes the language just falls apart, you know, when I'm trying to talk yeah. about this subject with someone because I'm like, look, that's a mystery. This is one of these spots where it, it's so hard to really quantify. I think it really is. But it is interesting. I mean, it's very similar to what you're talking about. I think sometimes, like, if we can't have real conversations about pain, we're closing the door to spiritual practice for a lot of people. Because a lot of people might feel that their pain isn't understood. Yeah. Oh, that's true. This kind of goes back to some of what you were talking about. Um, ways in America that people practice their spirituality can feel closed to a lot of the population because their pain isn't, they don't feel their pain is being acknowledged. Yeah. Or understood. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that's absolutely true. I, you know, even just... Um, I guess the word I use sometimes is shunning. Maybe that's the word, and maybe it's not the right yeah. word. But it's like, you know, that I have real trouble with things like that, where where it's like a message of love and uni- universal universal love and acceptance, 
but then you you find that there's barriers based on all kinds of different things, you know, whether it's sexuality or uh, just nuances in philosophy or theology, all those types of little things, or even living uh, marital status, you name it. Yeah. And when I encounter those things, I always have said that, I say always, I mean, I've come to believe that there's, this is where new things begin to crop up because people, all these outcasts or all these folks that are not really fully accepted, something else will crop up. A medicine of some sort crops up to serve them, you know, Right. and uh, it's nuanced and it's for them. And then that's where I think we see these branches just bloom off because people just don't want to be left out. You know, they really don't. I mean, nobody wants to be shunned for something they, who they are. And people are looking for connection in some fashion. Yeah. I mean, we want, I think togetherness is important. And I really, I do think community can be important too. Um, I don't think taking things that people are, the way that people are born or whatever their life has made them, I don't think it's healthy to leave them out. I just never have. I've just felt like, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me to, we're not creating community if we're doing that. Right. Right. I agree with you completely. I feel like, um, it's important to be open to anybody who walks through the door, how to create though, an environment where they feel comfortable is a little trickier. I bet as a teacher, that's probably an interesting dynamic too. I mean, you, you probably have people from all walks of life come to Kung Fu. And so that's interesting because you probably do get to create a space to some degree because you're it's outside of some of the bear, some of those uh, little markers that people get judged mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Um, and but I still wish it was better. You know what I mean? Like we have a pretty diverse group of people that come through, but I wish it was better. And sometimes, again, more questions. What might be missing if someone isn't comfortable walking through the door. Ah, yeah. You know, and, and, and sometimes it's not so obvious. Mm. Sometimes it's not so obvious. And I, I think that a lot of the work people are attempting to do in this country right now, discussions around that, you know, we're, we're trying to find our way to have these discussions. And one can argue that we're not doing a very good job of it. But we have to go through this process to figure out how we don't shun people. Yeah. You know, like you're upholding a tradition, like you you touched on that too. In some ways, if you're organized and offer community, you're upholding some kind of tradition. But how could upholding that tradition make other people feel shunned? Yes. God, that is so so difficult. So what do you let go with in a tradition? And and what is preservation of a tradition? You know, what is that? What is that? What are we preserving? What what does what is that tradition? Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I don't have the, all the answers for that. I think we do a pretty good job at the school, though, of making fe- people feel welcome, though. Yeah. I mean, that's I, it right I, there, the intent. My background, you know, again, I'm a white working class person, and I don't I, I personally don't feel I attract enough people who have a working class background. And I don't care what color they are. You know, you say you I don't mean, feel like you attract enough of a work. I don't feel like we attract enough. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's like uh, my nonprofit warriors, Pat. That's one thing I'm trying to figure out and do outreach and resolve. And for for people I have, if I attract some people, 
at our professional people, our very successful people, and just people that we would consider middle-class people, even from all walks of life, that's great. And I love my students, and, and I'm just so grateful for them and the support that I get. But it also enriches their practice if I could attract a more diverse group. Yeah. Whatever that means, you know. So I mean economically, um, um, socially, um, educationally, whatever that means. I want to get as many different people in there as I can so that our training environment in the school is a mirror for real life out yes. in the real world. Makes you know, perfect and the more sense. we create that, the more fruitful. See, this goes back to substance, right? The more, the more that we could create that in the school, the training environment, the more fruitful the environment is for people who come to train. They feel the the substance of it because yeah. it means real life. I like that. I mean. It's true. I mean, you get this, I get this feeling, especially with like old entities sometimes, or, or whether they be religious or clubs or groups, or right. even just, heck, just even businesses that have a, an old board of directors or something like that. I mean, you see yeah. this sort of homogenization of things where it's like, where you said that it becomes a tradition and the wheel just kind of spins around from generation to generation. And the more it spins, the more everything just kind of bleeds into this one sort of gray wall, you know, that doesn't want to change. And that's difficult. I mean, without someone consciously saying, Hey, we need to stimulate. It's like those forest burns that stimulate the forest for new growth. I mean, somebody, something's got to come along and strike the ground with lightning every once in a while, you know, to, to germinate those things. And, yeah, you have, but you have to have somebody who's willing to do that, I think, you know, and that's right. not always um, without conflict. <laughs> well, and you and I were raised Catholic. You were raised Catholic. Well, too. I, I, I have Catholic Catholic. families, but I, I was, I went through the process of converting. That was what I was talking about where I, I kind of, I went, I had to back out because there were just things that it was one of those situations. So I do, I was in it and got out. Well, in my community, the church was the centerpiece for us. It was, it was where community happened. And in our current present day, organized religion isn't meeting the needs of our society the way it used to. Now, why it's not, I mean, obviously, there are some obvious reasons it's not with, with scandals and of every color, shape, yeah. and form. Right. And not only, not only Christian, I'm saying all across the board, right. you know. So we know that's a problem. But looking beyond that as well, what's missing in our American society? Why? And I know people are looking for community, but they're not finding it. I, I see the opioid crisis as part of that sign that people are looking for something else, but they're not finding it, and they're turning to drugs. Yeah, I see, we see that here, too. I mean, it's, you know, meth is kind of a problem in our community, and, I mean, yeah. it's not something anybody really likes to talk about, but it's the truth. I mean, it's it's actually sad when it becomes a joke, like, oh, well, if you want this, go to this city, because that's where you get meth. You know, it's like, don't make the mistake that we have the good drugs yeah. here. You know, it's meth cooking in this community, and yeah, yeah. that's... uh. You know, it's a terrible thing, and it's like, what? Well, somebody's preying on somebody, and that's just really sad. I mean, but if there wasn't a need, there wouldn't be a seller, right? I get it. I mean, it's uh, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I think about that all the time because I long for community too, 
you know, and I, to some degree, this podcast serves in that regard, you know, yeah. um, and some of the companions that have made through it and those relationships seem to be pretty durable, but we don't, there's something about proximity that's important right. too. And that's something that I desperately, uh, wish that I had in this community was right. proximity, but I, I have this sort of, um, no one left behind attitude, I guess, when yeah. it comes to these things. And it's like when I just see, I just can't settle for it, you know, and I won't settle for it, I guess, when I get inside of an organization or group and then I start to run into the bylaws where it's like, well, we don't accept this. Nobody says it, but we don't tolerate right. this type of person or that person. Um, then I'm just out because I'm not, right. I don't have the energy. These organizations are so old sometimes and so structured. This and the idea of changing it from the inside out sounds good, but you're just it's an uphill battle and you're always going to be in it's an true. uphill situation. You know, to me, it'd be better to just somebody said to windblown seed. I'm like, I'd rather just be a windblown seed and figure it out out here, <laughs> where whatever out right. here is, you know. And that's sad because well, that's not community, you know. No, I mean, it's not, it's not for those of us who practice Asian disciplines, you know, it's relatively new in the United States for people to practice intently Asian disciplines. And they all came from different Asian countries. So there's a lot of cultural structure that worked in Japan and worked in China and worked in Korea that is still around a lot of these disciplines that got transplanted to America. Does it work for Americans? Right. You know, so that's the challenge for especially Buddhism in the United States. You don't want to let go of things that are important to the practice. But at the same time, are some of these things creating a barrier for American people when it comes to practice? I can see that. I read a book recently that touched on the same thing. And I mean, he talked about that, you know, that coming to the West as a teacher, uh, he talked about how a lot of teachers aren't prepared for the West. Right. Uh, from the East, because it is such a different animal than what culturally, you know, there's right. so much consumption and ego driven uh, activities and messages. And that's like it, it's a hurdle and it even will affect the teachers is what they, he was saying right. is that as a teacher, he just wasn't ready. And he right. even went through an addiction and. You know, he fell into the same poisons that affect all the, everybody else in the country. Sure. And he said, gosh, I just was not prepared for for this. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, that's, that's a hard reality. When I read that, I was like, man, that's actually difficult to read. You know, you want to believe that the practices uh, are universal enough to where they could come to any country and really deal with it. But in some ways, America's got some unique problems. But it also goes to the importance of community, yeah. a religious community, because one person by, by themselves is going to find it to be a big challenge because we are influenced by the people around us. See, yeah. that's like another thing we have to accept as humans. Birds of a feather flock together. Yeah. And we can only exist for so long, man. Yeah. <laughs> Soon for later, our parents told us that. Don't uh, hang around with those kids because yeah. sooner or later, it's true. Are you like that? Sooner or later, you are going to be like that. Oh, I mean, it is true. And we've heard it our whole lives that it actually is true, right? <laughs> it is interesting. Religion is so powerful and spiritual teachings uh, are so powerful. The structure or, well, the influence of an organized 
group, whether it's a Catholic parish or just a, you know, a pop-up ministry of some sort, I have seen it happen firsthand. Like someone, and I, I hate to use the word drink the Kool-Aid, but like how quickly that can occur and unquestioned. And I'm like, wow. And I know the word cult probably isn't too friendly to religion, but sometimes even these, you know, authenticated religions smack of like cult like behavior. I'm like, it's so interesting how quickly uh, someone can completely be consumed by it and change their thinking radically just yeah. to be accepted within the community. And I think that's a desperation to be a part of a community, to be accepted in a tribe. I see it over and again where it's like, oh, if I do all these things, I'm accepted here. So I, if I just change my thinking and retool it just a little bit and just follow all of this, then this set in stone entity accepts me as, and then we can, then I can look back on everybody that's outside the barrier and go, well, you know, right. If you want in, you got to change to be in, you know, if you want to want the community, it's just a strange thing, but I think it's out of death. Sometimes I do think it's out of desperation for acceptance and community. I do too. I do too. And, you know, I think that's, that's just another expression of, of being human, right? I don't personally, I don't understand it well, because I've always, I'm probably too much of an egomaniac, you know, but I, I never fell prey to that very easily. You know, I'm always fighting authority and fighting this and <laughs> right. fighting that, you know what I mean? I'm one of those people. Me too. <laughs> Me too. But, I, but I feel, I feel compassion on all of our need to connect. And I agree with you. I think that part of part of that susceptibility is people who really want to connect for some reason haven't been able to up to that point, you know? And um, possibly, I would think in a cult, you kind of know what your life's going to be like from day to day. So that there's also a stability there that you don't have to deal with the unknown. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, attractive to people. Okay, I know what's expected of me. I know what I'm supposed to do. But I don't know. um, Because I've never, I've never been, I don't know anybody either who has been susceptible to that. Um, You're going to eventually probably come across somebody in your interviewing, you know, that had an experience and is talking about it. I mean, even like retreats, I can say this just because it wasn't too many years ago. I mean, on. I've been out of those retreats enough time now to look back on them. And one in particular that I went on, it was very, gosh. And I mean, I know some of these people, they probably, I don't think they'll listen to it, but I mean, it's just the truth. I mean, it was just my observation in hindsight. There was cult like behavior. I mean, it was isolated, isolates you, deprives you of sleep. Uh, It's very structured. You're, given a handbook. I mean, and I watched even like post retreat, you know, they break out into small groups to check in with you and everybody has to bring their handbook and the handbook, you know, there's just stuff in there when I would go, yeah, I don't know. This is not questionable. Right. And there would be a slice that would not question it. It was just like that handbook was the new way they were going to live. 
Right. You know, and they had accountability partners and things like that, you know, and I thought, yeah, it's not like they're isolating you necessarily out in the world. But I even remember a post retreat meeting where somebody called me and said, we need to make sure your wife is there. And I was like, well, why? And I was like, this is weird. Why is my wife? She didn't go on the retreat. And he goes, well, just so she understands how things are going to be from now on. And I was yeah. like, yeah, we're not going to do a bunch of red flags. Right I'm there. like, this has moved beyond spiritual retreat to even on retreat, though. I mean, I had told my wife post retreat. I said, I, I, they, they take your cell phone, you know, they don't want these cell phones. They don't want to, they keep some of your belongings, but they say it's to keep, you know, so you can focus on the retreat. Yeah. But in hindsight, you know, it starts to look a little strange. And I did tell her, I said, yeah, there was one night on that retreat where I was like, I'm about to walk out of this place and walk as many miles as it takes to get to a payphone and tell my wife to just come get me and I'll figure it out because this is not healthy. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary. Yeah. So, I mean, to some degree, I get it. But at the same time, what I don't get is... Well, no, I do understand from that experience was it was community. It was all about brotherhood and community. And some people were so desperate for that, you know, for that brotherhood feeling of acceptance within that small tribe that they were willing to roll with it, you know. And that's going to extremes again, right? Like, how do we find that balance? This is the yin and yang of it again. Like, how do we find the balance of being connected with other people, with our environment, but yet still having an individual position. Yeah. You know, in, in Zen practice, we'll call it our Dharma position. And, and like the yin-yang symbol, going between those two things, the degree in which you do is constantly changing, but there should be a symbiosis between both. It shouldn't be just one way or the other. Tricky business. Tricky business. Gosh, it is tricky business. Hey there, Good News listener. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed producing it. Now, it's time for the Fishing for Goodies segment, where I turn my interviewer role over to the Good News Fishbowl. Longtime listeners know that the Fishbowl contains over 400 unique questions, many seated by you, the listeners. Did you know that you could submit unique questions to the Fishbowl? That's right. Just call the Good News Hotline at 802-459-1668 to have your question added. You can also visit findthegood.news and send me an email. Now, let's take that dive into the fishbowl. Well, this has been pretty dynamic. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed every minute of this conversation. I enjoyed talking to you too. This is fun, <laughs> man. This is what a great conversation. So, look, uh, did, you did listen to some of the podcasts. Did you? I have. Okay. Did you get to the end where we do the fishbowl? Where we get in the fishbowl and we keep banging against the glass. <laughs> That's right. So this <laughs> fishbowl has been around since almost the beginning oh, of the it's show. So colorful. Yeah, it's covered in stickers Got a bunch and all kinds of stuff. Stickers on it. It's pretty groovy. Oh, it's amazing. So it I looks draw... kind of like a very psychedelic basketball. Oh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? It don't look yeah. like a fishbowl anymore. I mean, it used yeah. to when people would come in when we had in-person meet uh, interviews, uh, they would bring stickers and stuff and stick on here. So it's covered. But what I do is I draw three questions out. So the universe is going to ask the questions now yeah, out of the fishbowl. Yeah. No, I might combust. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I've got one, I've got two, and I've got three. Okay. 
Hmm. I'm curious to know the answer to this one. <laughs> you went like, hmm. So look, Oren, you were looking down. I was going like this when you go, hmm. hmm. <laughs> so so like, yeah, you're wondering together. what it is too, right? <laughs> I bet some, some people have been afraid to put their hand in here like, oh my gosh, I don't know about this. <laughs> I like this question though. Um, what is your most treasured possession? What is my most treasured possession? That's an odd thing to ask of a Buddhist, right? Yeah. That's a hard one, honestly. Do you have um, items that have, like, I guess, nostalgia that you just go, yeah, that bring back memories that you keep? All right. I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. And this informed my practice. My grandmother was, I'm named after my uh, paternal grandmother. Okay. Pauline. So okay. My, name, uh, my maternal grandmother's name was Anne, but this has to do with Pauline. She she was born in the States, but grew up up until 12 years old in Poland. They went back to Poland. So she had a necklace that she bought there, which is Our Lady of Czestochowa, which is the Virgin Mary in a Polish version of it. Okay. When I was getting married the first time, she gave me this necklace, and she goes, oh, actually, she left Poland a little later, maybe 16. So she got this necklace when she was 14 years old, and she gave me this necklace, and she said, Paul, I'm giving you this necklace because it's a special day. You're getting married. I got this when I was 14, but she goes, but you know, the clasp doesn't work very well. So I want you, don't wear it. This is like, oh, uh, wow, okay. <laughs> the necklace but i i want you to have this i see okay it means a lot to me so i'm like okay grandma i won't i won't so i put it in a drawer i'm living my married life we're having all kinds of bad luck so i figured i'm going to wear this necklace because it's going to bring me some good luck mm-hmm. or the necklace it did bring me some good luck and at this time i was still out partying and stuff i went out partying with my friends we went out dancing i come home the necklace is gone Oh, no. I went back to the bar. They couldn't find it. I walked up and down the street. For years, I looked in pawn shops to see if I could find wow. it. I mean, literally for years, it bothered me that I lost this necklace. Now, my grandma was still alive when I lost it, and I prayed to God she never asked me yeah. if I yeah. She didn't. And then she died, and she never knew. Now she knows, right? But right, she never right. knew I lost it. But I vowed never to get that attached to any physical thing again in my life that is an interesting story because it brought me so much pain to lose it right and i'm like i'm never getting that attached to anything in my life ever again man i needed to hear that story i'm serious i really needed to hear that today because i mean i told you i was robbed and some of the items that were some of it was stuff that can be replaced but some of the items had sentiment man like yeah. And that, that's the stuff that just pissed me off. I was just like, you know, and I even remember sitting with the police officer and he was, well, what was it? And he was writing it down. And I was just like, and he was just doing his job. And then part of me was getting angry. Like, don't you, you know, don't you, that, that item there. Like I wanted him to like highlight marker it and like right. stop and let me tell him right. why it mattered. And it's the same thing. It was just full of sentiment. And it's oh like, you're God. right. The pain of that. It was a memory. It was like somebody took a memory and just trashed it, man. Yeah. But I get it. I mean, it's hard because I'm attached to not junk, but I have like, thing, gosh, my whole office is full of this stuff. It's like, oh, this is a story attached to this item. And that 
man, that's hard. It is yep. painful. So glad you shared that. So you never found it. I never found it. But I, I do have to say, most of the stuff I have around me, mm-hmm. honestly, Oren, are gifts from people that I've taught. Oh, and well, that's lovely. My business partner, who's also one of the Black Sashes in our school, so she trained with me, became my business partner, and she's my good friend. Um, she bought me for one of my birthdays or Christmas a replica of that necklace. Really? Yeah. That's cool. And I have it on my altar, actually. I have it around, um, not the Buddha, but I have it around one of the female images. I love that. On my altar, yeah. So, the see, there you go right there. I mean, it kind of gets back to what you said earlier about forming a, a mental construct in your mind makes yeah. it living. You know, now... You know, your friend gives you that necklace, and it's not the original one, but the memory's still there, and the 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 sentiment is still there. Even if you lost that, now it's like it's timeless. It's in your. And she made an effort to to find something that would be old and older. Mm. It's not as old as my grandma's, and similar. And so it wasn't like, and you can't just go to a store and buy it. You know what I mean? It was Polish, Our Lady of Czestochowa. It's an antique. It's all this stuff. So I, I'm honestly, I'm very blessed person. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. I love that story. I really do. I'm so glad that you shared it, actually. It was an odd question, too. I didn't know what you were going to say. <laughs> so interesting. Okay, well, let's see what happens with this next one. Drum roll, please. I mean, this is such an odd poll. I mean, I'm curious. <laughs> it's such a short, <laughs> short question. Are you a pacifist? No. No. Is and it any more complicated than that? that I, I'm not. You could tell by my answer. There was no hesitation. Not no. even. No, I'm not a pacifist. No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, but I, I don't I have to say a few things to that. Yeah, please. I'm curious. I study the human condition and I study humanity. So because I study humanity, I understand that there is violence in the world. Mm. And I don't know if I believe there ever will not be violence in the world because it may be a training tool for us as human beings. Second, I want to hold in my heart the people who fight for us. And I, I want to I want to make sure the door is always open for people who have found themselves in situations where they had to fight. Yeah. And I don't want spiritual practice to ever be denied to them. So if I say I'm a pacifist, I'm afraid they're going to feel shunned. I understand. Okay, because I'm a martial artist, so anyone who is is not a pacifist. And then thirdly, I want to thank our politicians, and I know this won't be a good thing to do, and our judges and, and the people who take responsibility for violence in our societies. We put this on them. To make the decisions to go to war or not go to war or put people in jail or put people to death and then and then we condemn them for it and i don't think that's fair to them that's interesting i want to be accepting of the people who make the hard decisions yeah i mean it is easy to be in it's so easy to be armchair about everything you know when you're not really facing it they should have done this or they should have decided that is really bad for spiritual development for all of us. Say that again. There's a moral superiority to it. Mm. 
that is damaging for any individual's spiritual development. That gets me thinking about lately. I've, I've been thinking a lot about Anthony Bourdain again, for some reason, you know, I used to love to watch his travel videos and, uh, I knew there was a lot more going on with him than just what there was more than just meets the eye, you know? Mm-hmm. And I read an article about him uh, the other day, and it was talking about his tattoos, and he had gotten, you know, going into what they meant. They each one kind of meant something sure. to him. Yeah. And there was one on his arm that was a coin. And I think the way it was a Greek word, I think it was epoche or something like that. Epoch, I can't remember how you say it. But nobody, I never, it was a, a printed article, so I couldn't hear it. But he had pulled it from a book he was reading, and it was the philosophy of I withhold judgment. And it was really beautiful what he had to say about it. And I, and what really got into some mysterious territory where he was like, really, it's just a, it's a space where it makes room for everybody, you know, where he's like, look, I've never, I may not have done what you've done. So I have to withhold my judgment, you know, and what it kind of reminds me of what you're just, what you just said, you know, we put people in positions where it's very easy to judge them on and say we wouldn't do the same, but we haven't been in those same difficult situations. We just don't really know what we do. Exactly. Exactly. We don't know until we've been in the right situation. And I really feel that all of us could be put in the right situation. Yeah. That we be violent. Yeah. Well, my dad always told me, you know, I didn't go to war, so you would have to go to war. And I took that very seriously, you know. Uh, unfortunately, he suffered through war and it, he, it enhanced his violent nature his angry nature and there for a long time as a young person i resented him for that i resented him for being so angry and mean sometimes the way he was or the way he would um that the war kind of informed the way he treated the world when he came back sure and i as a young person i was very spiteful of that you know but then as i've gotten older i I more look at him as like a sacrificial lamb now because of what he told me, you know, I go, well, I don't have to be that way because he was that way. And that's a luxury in a lot of ways, you know, that I have here on my, in my comfy chair. Right. Right. That's a good answer. That was a very good question. So small and simple, but so much in it. Um, so this is the last one, and I'm curious about this one, too. It says, what are you self-taught? What am I self-taught? Yeah. <laughs> um, any intellectual side that I have, all of that was self-taught. Yeah? Yeah, pretty much. You know, and I believe in the American ideal that we have a lot of knowledge available to us. Not everybody could have a path toward a college education and so on and so forth. And all the, all the academic side of me, that's been primarily self-taught. I love that you brought that up and you said that earlier in our conversation. Yeah. I think it's important too, because this right now there's a lot of people graduating high school. It's that time of year, you know, yes. and my son's having those conversations with me. He's graduating and he's like, I just don't know right now if I want, if college is the right path for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and not in some way where he just wants to have a good time, but he's like really going, you know, I'm looking at the future and I want to make good first steps. And I don't know that that's the right step. For me and right. uh you know you point out that that's not always even an option for some people for a lot of people 
And you can still learn and be educated and self-taught in a lot of ways that are useful and helpful and enriching without having to take that course, that path. So I want to say if there's any young people listening and they wanted to follow that path and the doors have been closed for them and they're heartbroken about it, don't give up. Avail yourself of all the information. Make sure you meet people that are educated. Have relationships with them. Keep your eyes open. There's mentors and people who are willing to teach you everywhere. Don't think it means you're not going to be successful. That is a good message. Take responsibility for your own education and keep learning, learning, learning. I think you just keyed in on something that I tell him and I tell other people and I wish someone had told me. I really do. And that is, for one, I needed to travel more when I was younger. I should have exposed myself to more people and more cultures and more places. I really should have. And I think just in doing that, that would have, like as you said, exposed me to different ideas earlier. Uh, Mentors, as you stated. Um, I just think it would it changes the course of your life. It puts more options in front of you, and a lot of those options have to do with people. Right. And I'll say like that you bring up a good point, and this happens to all of us. When we want help with something, we tend to focus on only certain individuals that we want to help us. So we're like, this guy needs to help me with this. This woman needs to help yeah. me with this person. And if they don't help you, you get angry and discouraged. Right. You could keep an open mind and allow the universe to bring people into your life and you can engage with people without judgment. You're going to find the universe is going to give you the help you need. It might not be from the people you expect it from, but be open. It is always going to bring you the person you need to help you with the specific thing that you need help with. If you keep an open mind. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's that's the way I love that. I wish I had learned that, you know, earlier. Me too, my I friend. I really do. Me too. But you know, <laughs> you get I get what you get. Um, and as you said earlier too, sometimes those things we go through they do shape us. So maybe we can be that for somebody else too. You know, that's right. always great too to right. be of service. You know. And in a way, I, I know for sure you're doing that. I mean, you're touching people's young people. People of all ages yeah. in, in, you know, as a teacher. I love my children that I teach. I love them. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. See, we don't have anything like that in our community. We don't have Kung Fu. It's it's mostly like Taekwondo, I think, studios around sure. here. I mean, there's some other things, too. I think like Jiu-Jitsu, maybe. But, but Kung Fu has got this sort of allure to it, you know, that uh, yeah. kind of a, a thing that I'm, it's a curiosity in my community it would be anyway and uh i thought man that would be it would have been an interesting thing to intersect with at a young age you know well i'm hoping like with warriors path buddhist academy i'm hoping that we'll train more people who could teach and so more people will go out and be able to open you know places wherever they want yeah and really, really understand the art and be able to offer that to other communities so I got one more question. It's just one that I ask at the end of every show. Um, Did anything good happen today? Yes, I made a new friend. Yes, I like hearing that. (laughs) That's I love that you said that. I don't always say that, but the truth of the matter is I've become good friends with most of the people 
uh, that have been on this podcast and what an enrichment that has been. I mean, really, I can't sign an empty platitude. So when you say that, that makes me feel really good because I always enjoy these conversations, but I never am sure if that's a just me you know oh no i enjoyed it immensely and honestly i really respect what you're trying to do that you're bringing both people who write books and all that kind of stuff but also just average people to come in and and talk about their story because we're all spiritual seekers you know if we again if we could break away our mindset of what a spiritual seeker is and kind of tear that down Everybody's a spiritual seeker. Yeah. Everybody's looking for to answer the big questions in our lives. Yeah. No, absolutely. I get that totally. That's exactly how I feel. I mean, it's some basic universal type questions that for me that was kind of what happened. I mean, when I was younger, I went through a moment where I was just confused and I needed to know, you know, I was like, why am I even here? Like, what is the purpose of this existence? And I know that's a big question and I still don't have the answer and that's okay. But it was just that first crack, you know, in that midst of that despair. And it was the beginning and it was enough, I think. Yeah, for sure. So if you want people to find out more about your work and what you're doing, what's what are some URLs or the best way that you want people to interact with you? They could go to our school website, healthkitkungfu.com. Okay. You go to warriorspathacademy.com. They could find us on Facebook, Healthkit Kung Fu and Warriors Path. And if if all of that is too much, if you just type my name in, Paula Lazar's Kung Fu Chicago, I'll come up and you can find me. Yeah, you have a unique name. You're like me. Your last name is unique. And I was like, okay, I, when I started doing my little cyber research, you know, I was like, oh, she's easy <laughs> to find. She's like me. Oren is not a common name, so there's only so many of them. Uh, yeah, I found a lot of good information. And, you know, I didn't bring this up either, but you have? did you write a book? I saw a book on... Uh, I wrote a book with one of my Kung Fu masters about practical Kung Fu self-defense. Okay. So it's out there. I don't know if it's in print anymore. But I will say, I have a book in me. Yeah. This is, I have a few things I still want to do. Right now I'm working on my Shaolin stage show. <laughs> oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> That's really cool. I have I have a book. I, I tried to sit down and start, but it's it's not time yet to write it. That's so, so I'm still interesting. In I'm still in process of learning what I need to write. Man, I totally get that. I, yeah. I've, I've kind of had a, you vocalize that so well because I, I feel the same way. Like there's a book in there, but every time I think about, I like, try to put a structure down. I'm like, yeah, this just ain't something hasn't <laughs> something hasn't happened yet. I don't know what it is exactly, but something hasn't happened yet. That's like the linchpin to this whole thing. And I mean, even just talking to you today, I'm just like, yeah, she's got a story here that is would be a great book. I know it's there. Now, there's probably so much more we could have got into. So, yeah, you definitely got a book in you. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, you know, every now and then you write down the stories of your life, right? So I have started doing that just for fun because I do. I have so many cool stories, honestly, just anecdotes that are hilarious. <laughs> Some of them are hilarious. <laughs> so in good Zen tradition, the working title of, of that. Is somebody who's nobody. Somebody who's nobody. I like that. <laughs> I like that. I get to who am I, right? 
Yeah. But that's just an anecdotal. You know, it has, I don't know. Of course, Zen is in there, but Love we'll it. see what happens with that. That's probably just a hobby for as I get older, I could, you know, write a paragraph here and there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't even know how people have time to write a book. I think about that, too. I'm like, when am I supposed to, what's my supposed to write a book, man? <laughs> like the time it would take to well, sit down and Well, it depends, bang. right? It depends on the path of people. But what I do is very interactive. So, um, yeah, there, I would have to block off the time to do it. And I know people do that in order to write the book. And I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah. And that's their path. But right now I'm in the thick of it, rubbing elbows with people, COVID notwithstanding. Oh, yeah, boy, that changes yeah. us all, right? That's true. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, I do a lot of creative writing for my clients. And uh, I usually find by the time I'm through doing that, by the end of the day, I'm kind of smoked out on writing. I need a break, a mental break, you know, because some of it is just romance copy. I mean, sure. you know, trying to make a product yeah. sound wonderful and great. And, you know, when you're diving into that all day, sometimes it's just like, ah. Uh, I don't think I have an ounce of writing left. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. So, yeah, I get that, though. It makes sense. I mean, to set time aside, set to figure that out. Maybe one of these days. I, I want I want to read your book. When you write that book, I want to read that book. I'm more thankful every moment that I found. Thanks for listening to my Beacon Series conversation with Paula Lazars. If you found something of use in this conversation, please share this episode with a friend. Leave a review or consider visiting findthegood.news donate, where you can help me continue this good news mission from the Louisiana Gulf Coast. I thank you for pressing play and for syncing up with this good news beacon.